Welcome to episode 26 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. I'm your co-host, Sarah Lucas. And I'm your co-host, Mandy Conant. So we've decided to add a new segment where at the beginning, first 15 or 20 minutes, we're going to do that part as current event news, something that's topical, that's slightly separate from the main topic. And actually, we'd always intended to do two separate topics. If you guys listen to the first episode, you'll hear us begging for listener questions and our plan was to do a listener question and then a larger topic. But it turns out that most of the time listener questions are just full topics. Which is fun. And that was just confusing to do. And it just sounded like it was two different episodes and we did do it that way. You'd have a listener question which was an episode and then we'd do our thing and it was an episode and that's pointless. Right. And we have always tried to do the episodes very close to when we release them. So we never record something more than a month and a half before it comes out so that it can be somewhat topical to the current discourse. And that's worst case scenario. We've never had one that was more than a month. The last one that was put out, what, you edited it in two days, right? Three days. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So normally, like, this is Thursday. It will be out in a week and a day. Yeah. So normally we're, like, a week out. And because we're doing that already, we thought we could actually do even more topical work at the beginning and that that would be really helpful, especially as we continue to cover stories like Polyamory Me Too releasing new material. And that is going to be our topic for today's news segment as well. The pod has released four of the survivors transcripts four of them wow there's also an additional note at the bottom from the translator that says a couple of interesting things one of which is that since releasing their calls for stories the number of credible stories has doubled i can't find how many they originally had at this exact moment but i think the number was six so that takes the count to 12 unless i'm mistaken about the original number and by credible i mean that the survivor pod has read through the stories and thinks that they are as enough evidence to believe that these are credible stories and five have come out and spoken correct not exactly i assume by come out you mean publicly but i can't tell how closely the names listed in this recent group of stories tracks real names this section is titled voices from the game changer and uses the same names that franklin uses in that book i know at least some of them are pseudonyms so ruby for instance is not the name of the actual person that is being referenced additionally the first two stories in the list Lane and Celeste are from new interviews, which is what I think I thought they all were going to be when I first read them. But the third story, Amber's, is instead an edited collection pulled from an email correspondence about Amber's experiences. That original correspondence was between Eve and Amber, and from that grouping of emails, which was apparently quite large, certain sections have been pulled to highlight and create a narrative, and then published with Amber's consent. The final story, Ruby's, is actually piece together from notes and online sources without talking to Ruby. This appears to be because Ruby doesn't want to be found to be talked to, and we support their right to make that choice, of course. But it is less of a testimonial and more of an argument based on existing evidence, and the fact that Ruby is the one person that Franklin seems to indicate in his own writing that he heard. In any case, there have been more more women that have come out publicly with their stories, specifically against the same person, correct? Yes, these are all against Franklin, though. 
Yeah. But I was able to read through two of them, and some of them were very interesting because, of course, not only are we concerned about the harms and how we can avoid these harms going forward, but also some of the claims about the books. Three of them are named people from his books, and they tell basically their version of the story from his books. Elaine's story, which is the first one. Some of the big changes are that Elaine says that he says in the book that he was with her for three years, and that when it ended, he just like was a heaping, sobbing mess, and she says they were only together one year, and that he sort of pushed her away and that actually it's a really weird misrepresentation of the veto because that's his story about why vetoes are terrible is that celeste who actually elaine had befriended didn't veto per se but said basically treat her better or break up with her treat her better or i'm vetoing this oh wow basically oh that's that's a strange veto Mm -hmm. yeah so that is one interesting one and then of course celeste's is on here as well which is really interesting so she is his first wife that is all through the beginning of the more than two more than two all the beginning lessons about what not to do are based in celeste and it's obviously a very different side of the story because in the more than two he says that he told her when they first started dating that he was not monogamous but agreed to be monogamous to date her for a while and then after two years was like okay well i need to be not monogamous again if we're going to continue basically and she says in this transcript that she did not know he was non-monogamous until two years in oh wow she doesn't specifically say that that's different than the book. I don't know if she's checked that part of the book, but she says that she didn't know at all until it was two years in, and then it was like, break up with me or let me be a non-monogamous. So wait, so to be devil's advocate here, is there maybe anywhere, I don't have the book on hand. I actually was kind of looking around in my partner's office where I'm recording tonight to see if he had the book, and I don't uh-huh. see it. But is there anywhere in the book... That say like when you go to a movie and it's based on a true story where in the book it says this is based on loosely based on true story. You know what I'm saying? Like, is there anywhere in the book that he may have said things were maybe stretched out of proportion or changed to fit the need of the story that he's trying to get across? I don't remember that. Okay. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but I don't remember that being part of the story. And I'm not hearing that as part of the narrative. And given how many people are coming to his defense in this context, I feel like if that was, that would have been okay. one of the first things someone might have thrown out yeah. there. I just thought that maybe, just maybe. There are obviously some parts of the story that do match up, but sure. a lot do not. When all of this is based on memory as well, for sure. <laughs> anyone who's had a partner and who's been trying to remember stories 18 years later is going to say I told them and they're going to say you never told me you may have thought that but you never said it out loud yeah well or you walked out of the bathroom like we were talking about while the person was giving you a lecture or any number of things or you did say it and they just forgot which is reasonable as well if you basically one time at the beginning of dating said hey I'm non-monogamous and the person you're with didn't even know what that meant and you didn't explain it didn't talk about it didn't talk about your needs and just said but I'll date you monogamously and so they just hand waved it and really didn't think about he it. He said, Hey, I'm yeah. Polly, and she thought he meant Polynesian. <laughs> <laughs> That's not exactly the simplest mistake to make, but. <laughs> one quarter of my parents' side, uh, on his parents' side, one eighth, one sixteenth, yeah. Right. I don't know. So obviously. I don't so mean to make a joke out of the survivors. Anyone who's ever or looked at a. Uh, Anyone who's ever read Rashomon or seen the movie knows that if you have three people in a room and they experience a major series of events and you ask them what happened, they'll get three different versions of those events. Absolutely. 
But right. some of those things are weird, like the one year versus three years is a Huge, pretty big right. discrepancy. But you can also ask questions about how he describes the relationship, mm-hmm. because Elaine does note that they had a long-term talking sort of friendship for a long time before they started dating. Mm-hmm. So he might have been measuring from when he met her. And to that, that might have been dating to him. Right. You know, we've talked about that, how maybe people's terms are not mm-hmm. the same. So there's definitely some possibility of that being the case. But obviously, we're not here to tell you what to think about the survivors' stories. No, no, no. We're here to to give you the information so that you can read it and make an informed decision. And there are certain coherent and important story threads as far as, is this a person who is so good at navigating the complexity of the relationships that you should be going to get their advice on them? And I think that is something you're going to see is not the case in the stories. If some of the elements in the stories are true, like withdrawing emotional support to the point that your partner is calling your other partner every day crying to the point that your other partner vetoes their relationship so that that person can live a happier, healthier life. Hmm. And then you turn around and write a book about how the person who used veto power was using a power that no human being should wield and was a horrible monster that destroyed the most important romantic relationship of your life. Ouch. (laughs) There is something there that is very wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I want to add that Eve did help in a lot of this book and there is some good knowledge in it. The book that I was more thinking of is the book The Game Changer is straight up just a memoir where he discusses by himself how each relationship changed his other relationships and his views of relationships even in the tagline description on amazon it says franklin celeste's open marriage seemed perfectly safe until the day amber entered their life ouch right and both amber and celeste are in this list of people saying that what he's saying is not what happened right so that's i think that that's this might what be, i was saying yeah even more that ah yeah ouch i think that, <laughs> that that's that's more fire than eve like I, uh, you know sure. what i mean like Ah, not that Eve's account was it like should be discounted, but yeah, that's all I got. I can just that's all I got. <laughs> uh, you ever just want to kick somebody? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Michael. I'm just disgusted. Really, like I said, I was only able because of my work schedule today to get through two of them out of the three that are up. And I don't want to summarize them anyway because they didn't go to the effort of posting an exact copy of the story and an audio file for me to summarize it for you. So please go to the link. It will be in the description. Listen to the stories. I mean, if you can listen to a podcast somewhere, you can listen to these stories somewhere. They're important. (laughs) Listen to them. Take the time. Listen to them. Learn from them. Draw your own conclusions with a thread of events that you see corroborated collected through them and also if you're wondering why you need all of these stories remember that before eve even said that she was having problems publicly franklin was posting on quora vague notes like i have an ex who's trying to draw back in and she's lying about the things i've done and attacking me for things i haven't done Mm -hmm. so when that kind of thing is out there this is the kind of work that you have to do to make sure that you know that you're not crazy Mm -hmm. right to find these cooperating stories for yourself and for the other people who experience this scenario where you have an expert gaslighting you which has got to be the worst all-time version Mm -hmm. of gaslighting Ah, gosh gaslighting is so gross and i want to say i know i've said it in multiple podcasts now that we want to thank the people that have come out the survivors that have come out Mm -hmm. the ones that have come out publicly and anonymously 
mm-hmm. just to say thank you and we hear you. Right, absolutely. The story that you're sharing is absolutely so important to everyone else out there. I, I mean, I've been a victim of abuse and to hear that the Me Too, it's not just me, empowers people like myself and like you to make changes and to find the sanity that's been taken from you, really. You know, we've been covering it for so long that at a risk of sounding jaded, like I'm trying to use fresh eyes whenever I talk about it so that I don't just sound like I'm trying to kick a person when they're down. And the problem is we need something to galvanize the community to do more. And this is so big that it has the potential to do that. And so for those of us who are trying to get more done, it's super tempting to just keep Mm -hmm. hammering on it. By fresh, I think I'm also bringing with me the baggage of people outside of this this is emblematic of the uses of people in power Mm -hmm. in our communities and the lack of systems of accountability in our communities and the lack of protections in our communities which i want to bring up we've had two communities now come out and challenge their community leaders with what we had to say in our last podcast about making the changes about standing up and about not letting people in power abuse that power that's fantastic i didn't know that yeah so please continue to share that, even if you're not sharing the podcast, share the idea, share the, the story. You know, we've also had, though, some pushback. Obviously, we've had pushback in my own community, and we've had pushback on people seeing it and going, well, that's a lot, though. And I've had a lot of time to think about what I want to say to people who are saying those sorts of things. And one of the things that I want to say is try it. Yeah. I believe that one of the major concerns that people have is that this is really going to kill their dating life. <laughs> and I know it's going to change the way that you date. That's obviously true because it's a rule about how you date. But nobody that I know who has been applying this rule to themselves has found it prohibitive in their ability to get dates or to exist in the polyamorous community. Right. And the other thing is you have a lifetime of having no rule. So try living with it for a while. Yeah. Just just stick your toes in. Just try it. And this goes for people in power, not only with male genitalia. Yes, I agree with that. Sure. Yeah, this has got to be for everybody, especially as we're moving towards a less and less binary mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking about you have non-binary people and you have people who are male identifying, people who are female identifying, everybody in leadership should have these kinds of rules because anybody can have these sorts of power abuses, even if they are more common for certain Correct. groups. And you want to eliminate them for all groups, not just the most common group. Well, I think my concern of burning out a little bit on this topic does segue well into our topic of blame, which is blame is way more complex than I want it to be for the discussion tonight because of the context of abuse. Mm -hmm. Because what blame does do very, very well is it allows us to escape emotional traps. All sorts of strong negative emotional responses, anger, blame, are designed to help us overcome emotional attachments that have been ascribed to damaging sources yeah i mean that's if i follow what you're saying because sometimes i don't because you're entirely <laughs> too smart for me <laughs> but if like i don't stop before the conversation is had and go okay we're gonna go into this conversation constructively if somebody just comes to me with something it is instinctual almost to 
try and somehow figure out how to not be blamed for it. Yeah. Right. We're hardwired to want to avoid right. blame. So I have to make sure to go in and like pull that down like on top of me and go, okay, you want to be constructive here and you're going to need to eat some of this. But it's it's hard to do, especially if I'm yeah. caught off guard. And like if one of my partners just comes to me and God, just, it's yeah. like, I've got this grievance and I've got this grievance now. And I'm like, whoa, hold up. It's got to be your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, and that was what I wanted to talk about with blame is I wanted to talk about how you can avoid making your partner feel blamed and how you can avoid putting yourself into the headspace of blaming someone else so that we could talk about how to improve your healthy relationships. But a lot of what, well, all of what we normally talk about is how to improve functioning relationships. And so many relationships have non-functioning or damaging elements Mm -hmm. in them. And so it's important for me to say at the beginning, before you can use any any sort of advice like here's how to not blame someone if you're feeling a lot of blame towards someone you need to go do a double check talk to your friends talk to people around you and outside the relationship to find out if the relationship is abusive yes Because as Sam pointed out, the basic function of an abusive relationship is that relationships are premised on the assumption that both partners will work to make the relationship work. Yes. So they're both pliable to the other person's needs. Mm -hmm. Abuse doesn't work for the abuser if the one being abused knows they're being abused. Right. Does that make sense? It's very, very important for the one being abused to not realize they're being abused. It's like breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, because once they realize they're being abused, it's like a window's opened. Like at the end of Gaslighting. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. At the very end of the movie, she's like, oh my God, this is happening to me. And she's like, okay, wow, I see everything that you did. Granted, it doesn't have that quickly, but... Right, and so if you know the other person isn't trying to work on the relationship with you, then you realize why all of your working on the relationship was always futile. Yes, that's why you're here, because you say that shit way better than I do. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of... A lot of how abuse works is you try and you try and the relationship doesn't get better and the person says, see, you're not trying hard mm-hmm. enough. Yes. And then you try and you try some more and they say you're not trying hard enough. You try and you try some more. And they go back to their corner and not try. Right. It's a meme or something on the internet going around that says something like the evil man or the bad man. I forget what the title is. I don't like it, but says, meet me halfway, meet me halfway. And then you take a step forward and he takes a step back and he says, meet me halfway, mm-hmm. meet me halfway. Yep. Abuse oftentimes looks like that where the person is starting from such a ridiculous point that if you met them halfway, it would still be abusive. Right. Yeah. Yes. You'd oh still goodness. be on their turf. Yeah. That even if you both walked in the middle, it would be far too far to the wrong mm-hmm. direction because you were trying to be a healthy person and they were not. Yeah. Now, when I say they were not, I don't intend intent. Yeah. Right? So I don't mean that they knew they weren't. I mean that where they think a healthy approach exists is just not healthy. So they weren't aiming for what is a really healthy approach, even if they thought it was a healthy approach. Yeah. You see the separation I'm mm-hmm. trying to make? I'm not trying to talk about abusers as being always intentional. In fact, I, as I always said, I think most abuse is unintentional. And most abusers get really upset if you can make a claim that they are abusers that they believe or looks credible because they don't feel like they are well yeah because one nobody wants to be a bad person right so of course that's upsetting for them that wasn't ever the question So I want to put that out there, which is if you feel like you're blaming a lot before you start using the tools we're going to give you to reduce your sense of blame, get a double check that you're not in an abusive relationship. Go to a counselor mm-hmm. if you can, a psychiatrist, a psychologist if you a can. A poly-friendly. Talk to your friends. Poly-friendly. Poly-friendly. Psychologist. Yeah. Counselor. 
Yeah. Because there's a lot of counselors and psychologists out there that will tell you that being in a poly relationship, period, is abusive. So is make abuse. sure that that's you're true. seeing a poly-friendly right. counselor or therapist. Yeah. So if that's an option, do that. And if you can't do that, just check in with your friends. I mean, usually if you have a whole crew of friends and you go to four or five people whose opinions you trust and you explain the stuff that you think is problematic and they go, yeah, that's problematic. It probably is. One thing that's interesting, though, about abuse, typically those who are abusive people and look for a partner that they can abuse, even if they don't know it's abuse, don't pick people who have lots of friends. Because sure. mm-hmm. they sure. want to isolate them because if they don't, if they have the opportunity to find people to um, break that fourth wall, then they can't abuse anymore. And their idea of perfect right. relationships or relating is done. That's a good point. Yeah, and obviously joining groups is a really good way to get more people yes. around you. Be a joiner is the easiest fastest way to grow a social network to have someone to check with. That's what helped get me out of my abuse. There are groups and services and online places where you could check yourself. There's lots of wonderful poly communities. You don't even need to be local. You can go to a poly community anywhere in the world that looks healthy and watch them their discourse and, you know, say here's a thing that I'm dealing with. What do you guys think about this? Is this a problem? Is it unhealthy? And see sort of the the average feedback you get. We're not professionals, but uh, you know, you could ask us. (laughs) And we'll straight tell you (laughs) <laughs> you, can, you could ask us. And we will straight tell you, we think so, or not so, but go check with yeah. a professional, because we are not professionals. But we'll listen to you. And if you are going to go to a, a counselor, start by going to a counselor by yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's a lot of evidence that traditional counseling actually makes most forms of abuse worse, because traditional counseling assumes non-abuse. And so it assumes that you have to meet in the middle, and it doesn't address well the fact that the middle is super damaging for you. I never thought yeah. about that. I want to add also... Just having watched my parents' abusive relationship over the years, I know it was very important for my mother to not tell my dad that she was going to a counselor. Yes. Because she did try to tell him one time, hey, I'm going to go to a counselor. And he shut that down all kinds of quick because... Then somebody was going to tell her that he was an asshole. And so not only do you, should you not go with your partner, maybe you should hold off on telling your partner That's that right. you're going to a counselor. And might I point out, if you're like my ex, he had a degree in psychology and he picked a counselor and we went to them together. Oh. And then it continued afterward with the same oh. counselor. Don't go to the same counselor that he or she is going to. Pick your own. Yeah, absolutely. Do not. And definitely don't let them pick for you. That's Yeah, no. Yes. The worst case scenario. Yeah. But we're not saying don't sure. date counselors. Right, no, Sarah? or people who have, who have degrees <laughs> in psychology. No, no, no. no. But, but don't... I'm not biased for anything. <laughs> but don't go to the person you're dating no. for counseling. Oh, no, don't do that. No, no, no. no and that's not what I was implying. <laughs> I know. I know you were not. I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm sorry. <laughs> And that, that's a really bad idea. But I mean, then all the bad. That's one of the only times I'll tell you to do something without telling your partner is to go yes, see a counselor. Go see a counselor. Well, it's like going to see a doctor. You know, yeah. if you have a health concern that you need to understand, you should understand it first before mm-hmm. you deal with it with your partner and, you know, that sort of thing. Amen. But definitely with this counseling scenario, if you, if you suspect you may be abusive, don't. Okay, so if you're pretty sure your relationship isn't abusive, now let's talk about tools to lower blame and, and sort of what blame is for. <laughs> So again, 
What blame is for is it's to protect you from having your trust abused. It allows you to build up the level of resentment and emotional content you need to overcome the starting hurdle of getting away from an abuser. Mm -hmm. Because that's very difficult to do because you care about that person, you have shared experiences, all the normal human bonding mechanisms have kicked in for you. You have that person buried deep inside of the space of things that matter to you. And so you need some way to break that. And that is negative, resentful emotions, anger, blame. Blame is in completely healthy relationships as well. Oh, I'm trying to explain why blame exists as a adaptive feature of being a human. But because it does that, it will always be everywhere. You will never not feel blame because of that. And I'm trying to explain why you have it, though, and pointing out, you know, so check to see if that's a problem. But if it's not, it's it that's that's the direction blame is taking you. Blame isn't taking you anywhere healthy for your relationship. It's taking you towards getting away from them, breaking up with them, becoming resentful of them, right? That's its function. You definitely have to control the blame, yeah. Yes. That's a good function, and it's okay to feel that, and it's okay to feel that that has happened to you. But if you are in a relationship that's healthy, that most of the time makes you happy, it can be really easy to keep blaming your partners for things where no one is to blame. Mm. Because when you realize you're not to blame, your body, you naturally think someone else Mm -hmm. is to blame. I equate it to like when someone dies. If you have a loved one die, you have to blame somebody for it. Somebody Mm -hmm. has to be blamed for it, and it can't be the person that's dead. My first husband died in a car wreck. Mm -hmm. It was completely and utterly his fault. He was driving the fucking car. No other car was involved. It was his fault. But he wasn't at home with me because we had gotten in a fight. Oh, no. So it was my fault that he got in the car wreck. And not only did his family blame me, I blamed me for years. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of counseling. Lots of counseling. I do not blame me. Yes. It is not my <laughs> fault that he died. <laughs> I can say that. It's not. It is absolutely not. I can not. say that out loud now after like 20 years of therapy. But that's just my point. You weren't actually to blame. And then you had to do all the work going to counseling to realize that you didn't have to blame yourself instead of starting from a position of understanding how to not blame. Right. But, but there was somebody needed, like, and I got, I wasn't mad at his mom for blaming me for it because she needed somebody to blame that wasn't him. I would say you shouldn't be mad at his mom, but I think it would have been better for his mom not to have blamed you. Right. I guess I just, I I understood her blame. Blame generally increases stress levels, cortisol levels, and other damaging hormones in your body that are not healthy for you. Letting go of blame is almost always better, again, unless it's getting you out of an abusive situation. But so hard, so So hard hard. to let go of blame. So hard. Right. For me, understanding where a thing comes from helps me be less attached to it. Okay. Example, please. Give me an example. Yeah. Moral emotions like anger, their function is to prime us Mm -hmm. to assign blame. So to follow my example that I've used many times into the next stage of it, (laughs) when you walk into a tree branch... (laughs) And you get really angry. And you get pissed off. And you want to look for who is to blame. (laughs) And you try to blame the tree. And then you realize the tree can't be to blame. But what happens is that the anger is a result of something painful happening. And the anger tells your brain to allocate blame. Mm -hmm. It says, find the Mm -hmm. thing that did something wrong and allocate blame to it. And again, it's a defensive mechanism so we can avoid getting smashed in the chest again. And then when you realize Mm -hmm. it's a tree, you get short-circuited because you can't allocate blame to the tree because it's just standing there and you wandered into a tree. Oh, but you can cuss it and kick it. (laughs) 
Well, and people do, but I think most people at that point have that response short-circuited. And a really, really bad day where you're really upset, you will end up punching the yes. tree. But in my experience, <laughs> that actually just gets you hurt again, right. which causes you to re-attempt to allocate blame. And on a long <laughs> enough loop cycle, you'll eventually realize that you're the idiot that's punching an inanimate you're object. You're in a fist fight with a tree now. <laughs> and you're losing. <laughs> And you'll realize that the tree isn't doing anything wrong. <laughs> it's just being it's just a tree. Existing. Yes. Damn tree. Then on the flip side of that, we are designed to avoid having blame allocated to us because blame is very dangerous. It is how people do decide to cut you out of their life. It's how people do decide to change the way they treat you. And so we are hardwired to respond to blame by going, didn't do it, and trying to shift it to, to something right. else. And so what happens in relationships is that most problems in relationships, no one is to blame. Everyone did the right thing, and you still got hurt. And so then when you start playing the blame game, everybody loses. Yep. Because your partner isn't going to feel like it's really their fault and that's going to get you stressed out or they will think it's their fault when it's not and that's going to get them stressed out because they're worried about stuff that isn't even their fault. There's no good outcome of that. You have this ball of sort of negative emotion bouncing around your relationship. Mm -hmm. So how do you not do that? I have to seriously, like almost out loud, talk to myself before I'm going to have a conversation with someone and go, all right, maybe there's like, there's a certain level of this that you're going to have to eat. You're going to have to accept your role in what's happened, whether it was an unspoken expectation, whether it was a lack of communication, that whole, it takes two to tango in a healthy mm -hmm. relationship, mm -hmm. because we're not talking mm -hmm. about abusive mm -hmm. relationships right. right now. We are not. There's two sides to it. And usually the blame can be spread around pretty evenly. So just stop and think, okay, in this scenario, what could I have done differently? Just me, not everybody else, just me, what I can control could have done differently to have a different outcome. And not like, well, mm -hmm. I wouldn't even have fucked him, you know, or <laughs> I wouldn't even asked him out. That's what I would have done differently. Because that's not the answer. Sure. <laughs> right. Not the angry petulant right. version of that. And what I experience is that you will always find that in any situation, you could have gone far enough as to fix the problem. Right. Now, I'm not saying you should always be the one that fixes every problem. You should not. No. But that helps calm me down. When I realize that I could have fixed the problem, I could have stopped the entire thing from happening. Right. That puts you in a much better mental state to go to the person to have the conversation and go... It looks like I could have stopped this, but I'm still frustrated that it happened. Let's talk about how it cannot happen in the future. Is there anything you're willing to contribute? Is there anything that I can be willing to contribute? Where can we get to on right. this? On the other side of blame, it makes you the bigger person if you sit down and realize, you know, shit, we need to talk about this and we need to figure out how to fix it and not blame people. It makes you a better person. Also, if you sit down, it's your idea and you're like, hey, let's like sit down and talk about this. Let's spread this blame around a little bit. Let's all eat it. It's personal growth absolutely mm -hmm. and i think there's a different approach in the language you're using than what i use mandy keeps saying everybody has some of the blame my language is there no is no blame, blame. Yeah. when i talk to my partners i say like no one did anything wrong no one is to blame we all did the best that we could in this scenario and i know that yeah. and i know that you care about me and didn't mean to hurt me and i know that i care about you and didn't mean to hurt you but somehow we ended up angry and yelling at each other so let's talk about how we ended up there and what we both could have done to do that differently without blaming ourselves yeah and i don't subscribe to that to me there is blame. There is such a thing. There's blame. And when something happens, there's blame to go around. But I think it should go around. It's not just the one person that, that fucked up. Yeah. 
Of course, I'm only speaking from personal experience, but it's usually somebody did something maybe without thinking. Somebody had an expectation that they weren't going to do that something. Somebody didn't do something. And then there was an expectation that they were going to do something. And it's always, there is blame. There, blame happens, but right. we... It needs to be Wrongs spread. Happen, yeah. I was going to let you go with having the, we have different opinions, but the, there is blame, blame happens kind of language makes it, you hate makes it. you feel like that was sort of a gauntlet <laughs> moment. So I'm going to, I'm going to come back at you for a second. Bring it, Michael. <laughs> blame is the game of finding out who is the person who should be the person that has to fix it. And my point is that as a partnership, as a team, as a relationship, it's just got to get fixed, but it doesn't have to get fixed in any pre-built way. And all structures of determining blame are societal constructs. In your household, is it the person that dropped it? Or if I spooked you, is it the spooker's fault? Like if I jumped out and was like, boo, when you dropped the bowl, is that my fault for yelling boo at you? Or is it your fault right. for having like bad nerves? And that's a cultural construction. <laughs> Which of you is to blame subject. for that is a cultural construction, not... Fair. It's not a objective fact in the world. Fair. And when yeah. you approach everything as a partnership trying to fix the problem together, blame is just immaterial. I mean, if there are rules you're playing by, then you can blame someone, but the rules are made up by you. Is blame synonymous with fault to you? I do think that's right. I think blame is of a question of who made the most mistakes, who had the most fault okay. and the larger share of the fault. You know, if you think that we live in a causal universe, which I do and which I always talk about, and if you think that you're in a partnership with the people that you are in relationships with, then it doesn't end up mattering who had the most fault because it's just an irrelevant concept. There is a damage that happened, the damage needs to be fixed, and you as a team have to figure out how to fix it. Right. And there's no benefit it to knowing who caused the beginning of it unless it was with malice in which case you're in an abusive scenario and that's where i was hoping you were going with that because michael <laughs> is my go-to guy for that <laughs> anytime where i'm like michael whose fault is it and he's like whoa 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 you guys want to fix this right and i'm like yeah yeah you want to fix it and he's like then it's nobody's fault you have to come at it from a team perspective. Yes. Oh, right. <laughs> the team perspective. Right, right. <laughs> and then like I do it and then the next time it comes up, I forget all about that team perspective. And I'm like, Michael, whose fault? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, matey. Team perspective. Thank you for going there. That was where I was hoping you were going with that. Trying to rile me up to heavy that yep. direction. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well done. Dangled that carrot very well. You're welcome. Good job. <laughs> I think that the three big takeaways then at the end are if you're feeling a lot of blame, you feel like feeling too much blame, if things are always your partner's fault, check to see if they're abusive. Check to see if you want to break up with yep. them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> If they're abusive, obviously run away. If you want to break up with them and you're just doing this to build up enough resentment that you feel justified, don't do that. That's not nice. But run away You anyway. care about this person. Yeah, still run away. But, you know, break up. Just break up with be them. Be ethical just, just about it. Just go ahead it. and do it. Yes. On the note of running away in relationships, be sure you're safe if you do. I'm sorry, when you do. Because there are statistics that it can be unsafe to just run or even to alert your partner that you're running from an abusive situation. Please check resources to make sure you're doing 
doing it in the most safest, six, safest yeah. way possible. Yeah, and there's a lot of resources for that that you can find very quickly on Google. Mm-hmm. For but yeah, so and you know if you realize you just want to break up with them and you're just sort of building up this resentment wall, like you realize there are things about the relationship you don't like, you don't think it's going anywhere, but you felt guilty breaking up with them for some reason. Don't do that either. Just break up with them. Yeah, yeah, just break up with them. And because as we talked about many times, think about how it's not about them being bad and you being good or them not yeah. being good enough for you. It's just that you're not yeah. compatible. So if you are feeling all this blame and you realize you're just incompatible, go talk to your partner and say, I have realized that we're incompatible. Like, I think you're an amazing person. I love spending time with you, but this is just driving me nuts. And I don't right. really want to fix it because it's too much incompatibility. We're just not going to work out that way. No longer mutually uh, beneficial. Beneficial. Thank you. Yeah. I, I definitely had a relationship that lasted for like eight months longer than it should have because <clears throat> I was trying. I mean, I was trying and trying and trying and there was so much resentment and just contempt and mm-hmm. just it should have transitioned eight months before it did it just caused me eight months of fucking stress <laughs> and like high blood pressure <laughs> <laughs> and and stress and high blood pressure for my other partners because they saw how unhappy i was so mm-hmm Sure. Assess it. Don't stay if you're not happy. Mm-hmm. All right. So then second is that whatever rules you're using to allocate blame were made up by somebody. They are not objective facts that exist in the universe. Yep. If you're trying to decide who did the wrong thing, that entirely depends upon your cultural perspective most of the time. Touche. The jealous ex that I often bring up who was mad that I was hanging out with my female friends because from the, her cultural perspective, her entire life, you didn't do that unless you were cheating. So I was to blame and she was right about that from everything she could know. Right. There's no way she could know that that wasn't what I thought was correct. And my cultural background said that if your partner doesn't give you the freedom to be with people of the opposite gender, then they're controlling and need to yep. go. Yep. There was blame there, but there wasn't objective blame there. There was cultural, situated, mm-hmm. relativistic blame from your perspective. Yeah. So when you remember that you realize it's actually blame is just a construct mm-hmm. you know a person made construct and then third it just does not matter in a relationship that works because you are a partnership trying to accomplish shared goals you are a team yeah. working towards <clears throat> the same goal yes how do we move forward from here mm-hmm. and have this not happen again right. instead of this is your fault this is your fault you're to blame don't even have that conversation have the okay mm-hmm. moving forward how how can we prevent this from happening again? How can we prevent this from happening mm-hmm. again? Right. Because sometimes even if in a conventional sense it's the other person's fault, the thing that you would be able to do to stop it from happening is not a problem and is super small and easy for you to do and you just don't mind and don't care, then, you know, do right. it. Then it's then it doesn't come back right. up. Problem solved. If that's fine for you. <laughs> You know, if that doesn't cost you anything. Right. You know, you obviously have to make choices that are healthy for you. You can't do that for every single problem. There has to be a give and take where sometimes they do that for you and sometimes you do that for them. So here's one of my best versions of that. I have an issue and I don't know what it is, but I have a real problem with facial expressions when non-important things happen. Like someone is loud in a room when I wanted the room to be quiet but didn't communicate to anybody that I wanted the room to be quiet. <laughs> I will flash you like angry murder death face. <laughs> Never Before seen that I realize face. What I don't I'm know doing. what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Before I even realize that I'm doing it. So it's an entirely unconscious, uh, automatic, emotional response that I do. 
for my partners, this can be very difficult because they can feel like I hate them. Like, mm. you just keep looking at me like I'm a jerk. And so I spend a lot of time telling my partners, like, it's something I do work on. Like, I'm trying to get better on it all the time. But I'll say, like, if I do that, that's not how I feel about you. That's me processing that the situation just happened. You can't control the voice of your face. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I try and, and do less on that. But of course, also, if you can know that, that I don't happen, mean yeah. those momentary looks are not my opinion or not my thoughts, then that can help. But also, if they say something to me like, oh, well, would you mind if I ask how you're feeling after you do that? I can say, yeah, that's fine. You can ask that and I will tell you like, no, that was a momentary blip. It is not how I'm feeling right now. It's not about you. It's not a commentary on you. It's like the equivalent to stubbing my toe and looking angrily around at the sidewalk. It's not <laughs> about you. It's just about my world not being exactly the way I wanted it to be. And kicking the curb. (laughs) I'm going to dream about you punching trees tonight. (laughs) We are past time. I'm going to cut a bunch of this out already. So let's go ahead and start wrapping up. I want to remind everybody that Atlanta Poly Weekend is June 7th through the 9th. If you haven't gotten your ticket yet, damn it, go get it. It's going to be a super, super fun conference. Michael's going to be presenting. I will not be, but we will be doing a live podcast. And the topic for that podcast is... Jealousy. 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 So buy your tickets. If it's even if it's just to come see Michael and I, and hopefully Sarah can call in. Our IT guys working on that. Although that's definitely sketchy. (laughs) 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 The if you guys have ever tried to use the internet in the basement area that we're in for that, it is not a great deal. Um, but also, so, on crossed. Saturday and Sunday, Someone Cares Atlanta is going to be at Atlanta Poly Weekend doing free STI testing. Oh, cool. <clears throat> so um, they'll be testing for chlamydia, gonorrhea, <clears throat> syphilis, HIV, and hep C. Five different tests. Cool. That right there is is worth the price of your ticket. Is worth the price of your registration right there. So besides that, it's going to be an amazing conference. You should absolutely come. We have a fun pool party. And um, there's this baller chick that runs it that you should come meet. Balling <laughs> chick. That's what you said. I was like, a ball of chick. Baller <laughs> chick. Okay. I'm glad chick. she got your language wrong because when Sarah looked like she had no idea who you were talking about and it was a big mystery, I was about to lose that, lose my shit for a minute. Like, who? Who's coming? This is really exciting. It was the face that she had, but she was actually searching for what word you said. And that, that makes a lot I was more confused. sense. I was like, yes, I was confused for a moment. I, the totally the, the baller chick is me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <a baller> <laughs> <chick>. <laughs> it's Mandy. The secret guest is Mandy. Okay. Surprise! <laughs> and our next our topic next time is gonna be have we done like an nre i can do nre in five seconds fuck nre i'm like so (laughs) what (laughs) okay i Oh, that's wow. right. I like yes, that it took right. Mandy like 20 seconds to get that joke. <laughs> she was on to like describing the concept I, and then I was, was like, wait, what I the fuck just happened? I was going like a story and you were like, fuck it, Harvey. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it, Harvey. Oh, I know you bye, do. Bye, Michael. No, we're, t- we're here still. <laughs> I think I'm managing I love NRE better because this time around I'm like, eh, it's okay. I'm enjoying it. Most of the time I'm like, fuck this shit. Like, this is annoying. I go crazy. I don't like it. 
Oh, no. I've, I've been, been in a, a new relationship for, like, two months now, and I'm still balls deep in NRE, and, like... Oh, I see. That's why That's why we have this story. I'm well, NRE is great when it's going great, but it basically rarely goes great. It's like, pretty it normally much just makes great. people crazy. I'm just saying. <laughs> sure. Sure. I have uh, flown across the country to see him, so... All right, yeah, sure. Fuck it. We'll do NRE <laughs> next time. It's Fuck a really it. good we'll time. NRE. Mandy is experiencing it, so we'll have a first-hand account in the midst of NRE defending really it, which is great. Can. I really hope next week it's, it's still going <laughs> It's going well. No, it's, it's going to be and great. Gonna be like, when we get to next NRE. week, it will be over, and you'll be like, Fuck it, NRE. <laughs> We're going to talk about NRE now. Mandy, how's your new relationship going? Fuck NRE. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. That's how that's going to be a really short one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.